Welcome na Mori. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susanna Suisuiki. Coming up. Well, I don't think you can ignore any member of the, the forum, as uh, history tells you. Pacific leaders are still not entirely convinced Japan's wastewater plans will be safe. Also, Tonga's only domestic airline grounded again. And later. We know that we are really against the clock. Commonwealth Rep says small islands live in permanent fear. We find out why. Some Pacific leaders are still not convinced that the upcoming release of over 1 million tonnes of treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power station in Japan will be safe, despite meeting with the head of the UN nuclear agency. The agency's director-general has met with Pacific Islands Forum Chair, Cook Islands Prime Minister Mark Brown, ahead of Japan announcing the start dates for the project. Prime Minister Brown told Lydia Lewis a large number of Pacific leaders were able to attend the meeting virtually and put their questions to Rafael Grossi, who's in Rarotonga, to present the IAEA's latest report. Well, the key concerns from members was the, the safety of the water. Was there any risk of damage to the, the environment, the ocean environment? Uh, and these were, I guess, the issues that the, the report and the scientific analysis needed to address. At the end of the day, is what is being proposed going to harm the ocean? That was the concern that was raised by, by leaders. Uh, both the government of Japan, through Prime Minister Kishida, have taken great lengths to assure Pacific countries that they will not do anything that's going to cause damage or harm to our ocean. The IAEA's role was to review and assess the proposed plan. And from what I understand, it's a very long, rigorous process of two years going through the plans with, uh, with the Japanese technical team. From what I understand, reviewing and revising some of the, uh, the more technical aspects of the plan on the recommendations of the IAEA. So those findings that have been uh, presented to us will be made available to our leaders. I know that there are some divergent views that are out there in terms of support for the discharge of water and other countries, other leaders having very strong views. Uh, There are also very strong views by community groups about this. Uh, At the end of the day, what needs to be demonstrated to us is that what is going into the ocean is safe and it's not going to damage uh, our marine life, our environment uh, or any aspects of the ocean. Has that been demonstrated yet, Prime Minister? No, because it hasn't been uh, discharged yet. All we've got is a plan. And at this stage, uh, Japan has yet to announce a date when they will implement this plan. There are aspects in our treaty that, uh, that deal with uh, disposal of radioactive waste uh, and that's contained in our treaty where there is a ban on that occurring in our, in our region, in our zone. Uh, and then again it's up to uh, the government of Japan to be able to demonstrate that they are not going to be uh, dumping radioactive waste. And from what I understand of the process, the water is treated before it is discharged into the ocean. Well it still be waste, and therefore be, you know, what, breach but, of the treaty. Yeah, what, what the report says is that what Japan is proposing is well within the safety standards of uh, the IAEA. Is so it in that, breach of the treaty, Prime Minister, yes or no? No, it, I don't think it would be in breach of the treaty. If it's well within the safety standards of what they're talking about, uh, tritium, which is also a naturally occurring uh, product in the ocean, 
Uh, the key thing, I think, for us in this uh, presentation is the IAEA uh, will be engaging in a continuous review and monitoring of this discharge process, which is going to take place over 30 to 40 years, I believe. So they have now established an office in Fukushima where they will have a permanent presence, uh, and they will be monitoring. And, of course, in those monitoring uh, processes and reviews, uh, there will be triggers which would uh, uh, trigger uh, measures to stop any discharges. But also I think one of the other things that has been proposed by the IAEA is regular uh, dialogue um, and consultation with the forum uh, in whatever form. So this is all new uh, engagement that the forum is experiencing now, particularly from the likes of the IAEA. We have nine of our forum members who are also members of the IAEA, uh, but having them uh, be able to report on a regular basis, whether it's annually or whatever, with the forum in whatever way, uh, would go a long way towards uh, providing an assurance to member countries. Once this process starts, uh, we know that we've got the, the worldwide authority on nuclear safety uh, keeping an eye and monitoring and reviewing this. So that should give member states um, a lot of uh, comfort and assurance that it's going to take place. It's just not going to be an open discharge of water going into the ocean. How is the PIF going to ensure that the opposition or the concerns within the forum that you've mentioned today are not ignored? Well, I don't think you can ignore any member of the, the forum, as uh, history tells you. Um, no, what we do is we accommodate. Uh, every country, every leader has uh, their sovereign independence to take a view or take a position, and part of the forum family understanding is we respect that. We respect their, their position on that, uh, as we've done on other topical issues that we've had. Um, and it's a, a matter that we'll have to manage as best we can. Do you expect Japan not to release a release date until the secretant has had a chance to read the whole report, 140-so pages? Do you expect them not to make any moves before you have had your say? No, we, we don't control what Japan does. They uh, are well within their international rights and laws to conduct business in their country as they see, as they wish. I have to commend Japan for really taking an, uh, an unprecedented step in the international engagement on this very serious issue, this very topic that's uh, uh, you know, provided a lot of concern for member countries, not just in the Pacific, in Asia as well, and other groups. Um, and it is a very difficult topic for them, but I have to commend them for being... Um, for inviting the likes of the IAEA to be part of this process and inviting the forum members and meet myself as chair uh, to discuss face-to-face -face the concerns we have with him. So it is not our business to know what, uh, what their dates will be, but I guess when they're ready to announce it, they will announce it. But they've indicated uh, that once they have received the report of the IAEA, uh, they will take that into consideration as to what their next steps will be. Are you going to come out and oppose this ahead of the release, or are you going to ask Japan for anything else, or is the work here for the Pacific Islands Forum as the chair done? This will now be disseminated amongst our members, and we will be having discussions on this and seeing if there is a convergent view that we can issue or whether there is a divergent view amongst members. What are the possible op options with those different views? For or against. And what happens if um, they're against? 
No, they're allowed to have that view. Will that will they be kept, will Japan be kept out as dialogue partners potentially? No. Okay. That's the last thing we want. Last week in Tonga, the only aircraft in operation with the government-owned airline, Lulutai, only available plane, ran off the runway at Ewa Airport, and it's since been grounded. It's not yet clear why the aircraft, a Chinese-built Harbin Y-12, failed to get airborne, and our correspondent in Tonga, Galafi Moala, says the passengers were forced to travel back to Tongatapu by sea. He told Don Wiseman about the airline. It was started a couple of years ago. It was the result of a lot of trouble with airlines locally, wasn't it? Why did the government get involved? Well, they felt that they can uh, run an airline better than the current owner of the domestic airline at the time, Rio Tonga. Uh, Rio Tonga was having a bit of financial problems at the time. So Lulutai was uh, formed by the government to kind of replace Rio Tonga. Well, the Lulutai Airlines plane ran off the end of the runway last week in Awa. What have been the repercussions from that? Well, the repercussions is that, one, people are no longer wanting to fly on Lulutai Airlines because of the uncertainty of its safety. Uh, there were people who were on that flight and they got a boat uh, to come back to Tongatapu. They refused to fly on Lulutai anymore. The other repercussion is the fact that uh, the word has been out for tourists who make their bookings from overseas. And Lulutai, of course, it's the only domestic airlines that serves the outer islands. A lot of the tourists wants to come and go to the outer islands. Because of the uncertainty of that, it's really affecting tourism here in, in Tonga at this time. They're the only airline, and this is effectively their only plane. Uh, that's correct. They they had two planes. This plane uh, that had problems in airways, what they call the Y-12, made in China. The other plane made in Sweden is called the uh, Saar 340. And that had some mechanical problems and it's being repaired. They say it's going to take three to four months. So uh, it's been a problem actually since the formation of Lulutai Airlines. Do we know why the plane ran off the end of the runway? Well, the, the, the only information that we had was that there were mechanical problems and the pilot uh, could not control it and so allowed to go off the runway instead of flying. It's a government airline. What's the government saying? Well, they're saying that they, they're going to do repairs and, and there's a possibility they'll lease an airplane from uh, outside. But the reputation of uh, Lulutai is really getting uh, questioned because the Pacific, what they call the PASO, which is the Pacific Airline Air Safety organization have indicated that they have a lot of questions concerning the safety of Lulutai and they have not been involved or have had any request for their involvement by Lulutai. In the meantime, there's just no air travel to the outer islands. Uh, no, not in the meantime. And uh, uh, there, of course, have, have also been uh, a lot of issues with the, the, the sea travel, the ferry travel, because some of the uh, boats also have broken down. So we we have a big national issue with the uh, travel to the outer islands, the domestic travel. In the meantime, the former uh, owner of the domestic airlines, a real Tonga owner, who himself is a mechanic for airplanes, have given a call that, uh, you know, they, they are ready to come back 
calling on government to allow the private sector to put together a plan for the domestic airline. Commonwealth Secretary-General Patricia Scotland says many small island states live in permanent fear of being struck by natural disasters as it's become more common. In June, Baroness Scotland attended the Paris Climate Finance Summit, which finalised a $100 billion pledge by wealthy nations for a fund to be set up for poorer nations affected by the climate crisis. However, leaders of climate-vulnerable nations are dissatisfied with the outcome, believing debt forgiveness is needed as wealthier nations are the main contributors of greenhouse gas emissions. Fina Funo spoke with Baroness Scotland. What is your opinion on the measures agreed at the recent Paris Climate Finance Summit? Do you think these measures are comprehensive in addressing the climate crisis? Well, I think they are steps on the way to where we need to be. If you uh, remember the position we're in right now, where the only criterion which is being used is GDP, we know that that does not meet the real needs of our people. If you think about how many climate crises we've had since um, the year 2000, to just between 2000 and 2019, there were 7,000 major natural disasters which occurred worldwide, claiming about 1.2 million lives and affecting 4.3 billion people, resulting in a $3 trillion economic loss and 75% increase in disasters and an 80% increase in economic losses. But if you look at where those losses occurred, the majority, 99% of them, occurred in the global south. And yet we know that G20 is responsible for 80% of the global greenhouse gases. And SIDS and the least developed countries and developing countries contributed only about 5% to the global greenhouse gas emissions. So addressing that balance, renewing and reforming the way in which the international financial institutions work is critically important. You can't any longer simply say that whether someone is a high-income, middle-income and low-income country should be the criterion on which they get overseas development aid. Because so many of our countries have been devastated and it is not as a result of any lack of fiscal rectitude on their behalf. These climatic disasters that you've seen in Tonga and Vanuatu had two within, what, 36 hours. These are not caused or contributed to by our member states. They are an exogenous shock coming as a result of climate change and a climate crisis which has not been contributed to by them. So I think the steps that were taken to take into account some of the terrible consequences of climate and the other exogenous shock of COVID and the uh, outcome of the uh, Russia-Ukraine debacle, all of this are steps in the right direction. And it is a journey. Are they enough? I don't think so. Do we need to push harder? Absolutely. You'll know that the Commonwealth is strongly arguing for a universal vulnerability index. 
Now, we know that the multidimensional vulnerability index, which is being proposed by the UN, is derived from our universal vulnerability index. And we will support it wholeheartedly as another step in the right direction for change. But we believe, in the end, we will have to go to a universal vulnerability index, which takes into account all forms of exogenous shocks. And if we look at the crisis that has come in food security as a result of Ukraine-Russia dispute, we see that none of that was caused or contributed to by any country outside of the two involved. And yet all of us are suffering exponentially as a result of that food insecurity which has flowed from it. So I think that it was very important for all of us to go to Paris and to make our voices heard. And the fact that the World Bank and others are starting to listen is something we must celebrate. But we have to push harder. You mentioned the Ukraine-Russia um, war. Do, do you think these kind of events are very disruptive to addressing the climate crisis? Well, I think they are disruptive to the world because um, uh, if you look at the way in which we have to respond to crises, we know that we are really against the clock when it comes to the climate crisis that we're now in. You will have known that it's not just the Pacific. Look what happened to the Caribbean. I'm currently in Bahamas. Bahamas was devastated, the whole island of Abaco and Grand Bahama, as a result of Hurricane Dorian, which was the biggest hurricane the world has yet seen, which stayed over the Bahamas for 36 hours in a way that caused billions of dollars of damage. And this country is hardly uh, recovering. My own country of birth, 226% of our GDP was destroyed. This is not a threat for tomorrow. This is a threat for today. And for many of our members, it's omnipresent. And everybody is thinking now that the hurricane season, for instance, in the Caribbean has started, who is next? What is going to happen to us? Who will be the country um, which will be struck? And everybody knows it's going to be someone, and they're all praying it's not them. That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.